doesn't grow weary or tired. He doesn't become impatient. And he's going to win. There's something particular about the human nature that just, though things we know to be true, we live like they aren't. And I believe that there is a, a, a powerful thing that happens when we just say stuff to be true. And so, well, let's do this. Can we just grab a hand? Can we touch another human being? Even somebody you don't know, I'll totally allow it. C.S. Lewis has a, has a quote that says that, that governments are going to crumble and galaxies are going to fade, but the eternal design of man's soul will continue on forever. And it should be the eternal thing that we are most captivated by and interested in. The hand that you hold is an eternal thing. It is the most marvelous. It is the most spectacular. And it matters the most. And so, Lord, I just pray right now you will not stop, you will not quit, you will not falter, you will not grow weary nor tired of pursuing these people. And God, I ask right now that you would pursue these people by using these other people. The Lord, in fact, maybe we could encounter God by encountering each other. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. <laughs> you guys can't be seated. Thanks so much for coming today. I had a different prayer in first service. I was praying for dates, man. <laughs> like, I'm going to confess something to you before we get started. I have this, like, <laughs> I think it's from the Lord. Isn't that scary? I think it's from God. That... That someday I will be preaching a sermon and we will interrupt the sermon to perform a wedding. I think that would be a marvelous testimony. And so I'm like always ready. Like, I don't know how we do that. Like, do I just say, hey, people want to get married in here? Just, just wink at her and if she winks back, let's do this. I like, I don't know how we, how we do that. But in, in case any of you are like thinking, man, I need to get married today, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, like, I'm not marrying you. I'm taken fully. But I will perform it. I'm a licensed minister, and we can rock. Find a ring, get some duct tape together or something. Um, and then, man, this thing went off the rails right off the bat, didn't it? No, I really am so happy that you guys are here today. Uh, we had a situation just come up and Pastor Alex got sick, unfortunately, and so he asked me to preach today, and it's really been a blessing. I love to get the opportunity to share the gospel and the word on short notice. It's like my favorite because I don't overthink it. How many of you in here take your smarts and move it all the way to stupid? Man, that is my thing. I have this wonderful idea, and I keep poking at it and prodding it and writing it down and messing with it. And then before, by the time I'm finished, it ain't even close to what Jesus gave me at the beginning. <laughs> I walk off the stage like, man, that was a disaster. But when it's on short notice, when I'm sharing with people, when they're asking me to share what's going on immediately, the only thing I have to share is what God's doing in me. 
you need to know that you always have something to share with another person. Because God is always working on you. And it's a testimony. I can testify to what God is doing in my life. And though it may seem mundane in the moment, we can have faith that is a, it is a supernatural and powerful thing. And so today, I am typically up here to teach, which is my passion and a great desire of my heart. Um, but this morning, I'm going to declare, I'm going to preach what the Lord has been doing through me and to me as I've read these scriptures. Is that okay? Okay. I want you to know something. Um, if you live by faith, you're going to start acting like God. And you need to know that. I'm going to say it again. If you live by faith, you're going to start acting like God. My sister used to say it to me. We used to have this debate when we get into the living room. We'd call out things like dibs. And so it used to be like, I call the couch. And then she'd say, well, I call the TV. I'd say, well, I call the remote control. Ha! So you, and so it became the thing where it was like, cast TV remote control. <laughs> Trifecta. <laughs> and then it worked its way down to, we would just say God. Because the sentence got too long, where we would say, like, if I had the couch, if I had the TV, and in the remote control, I'm like God. So we'd run into the TV room, and we'd say, God! <laughs> and I had it. You can't be God! That's what Lexi would say. But when you live by faith, you don't live by your own wisdom, or your own understanding, or your own knowledge, and start, you start to live by something else. You start to live by His understanding. And all of a sudden, you say things that you're like, where did that come from? You know, athletes that say, man, all glory to God. I think that's a good thing. Um, but I believe that the Christians should live by such an, an esteemed amount of faith within their daily life that they're saying, no, literally give glory to God because I don't know what that was. It certainly wasn't me. Could you see? people? I, I like the, the Christians, especially when they're young in high school and college ministry. If you're not helping out in one of those ministries, you should be bummed out. Because you watch a kid get it for the first time, and he just is like, like man, that was awesome. He goes, yeah. Well, what happened? <laughs> that was awesome. Did I do that? It's an amazing thing for the Christian to start letting Christ live in him and pursue his world through him. Does that make sense? And that's not just true for the pastor. That's true for the nine-year-old. That's true for the drug addict. That's true for everybody who would claim the name of Jesus, repent from their sin, and accept him. That is a long explanation to what I'm attempting to do today. And so I'll, I'm probably going to cry. It's a personal testimony because as I read the scripture, this is what the Lord's working on in me. Sound good? Can we do that? Do I have permission to do that? All right, good. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't even care. Today's message is called Connecting Rejects to Those Who Belong. We're in the book of Romans, and I really don't have time to go through the, a total background. If you, if you haven't been with us throughout this series and the teaching of the book of Romans, we're going line by line, verse by verse through the entire book. I believe that every word of the Bible is eternal and therefore has a, an effect or a good thing for us. We don't skip just to the good stories that every word matters. And so, to understand every word, we kind of have to have a little context of what's going on. And I can just say it like this in brief. If you want more explanation, you can check out the podcast. Shameless plug right there. You're welcome. That 
that the book of Romans was written as an essay by Paul to a Roman church. This Roman church is uh, edified, it is strong, it's full of faith, it's doing good works in a major uh, non-God-believing metropolitan area, if you will. Paul is a Roman and a Jew. This church in Rome is predominantly Jewish. He's been ministering for 20 years, has significant fame, and he's never been to the church at Rome. These people, in a word, feel rejected. Okay? Slated. The interesting thing is that Paul addresses their discomfort. He has no reason to appease them. He's doing God's noble work. What struck me about the scriptures we're about to read is that Paul was sensitive to these people and he didn't have to be. And I want to talk to us today through another set of scriptures about how that affects us here in Fort Collins today. Does that make sense? Okay, connecting rejects. We're in Romans chapter 1, verses 1, or verses 11 through 15. Let's see if it works here. Bang. Do I have to do something? We've never done this before, sorry. All I need is a Bible. Stupid stuff. Okay, uh, <clears throat> Romans chapter 1, verse 11. All the parents are like, Pastor, don't say that. There's children. In Jesus' name, you're forgiven. Okay, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Let's go to the old school Bible. It says this, For I long to see you, this is Paul speaking, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you and that I have to obtain some fruit among you. Also, even as the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I want to propose to you a, a statement, just a single thought. If I had to summarize this entire sermon up in a, in a word, what it would be. And then let's provide some teaching context to the scripture and see if we can apply it thereafter. We good? The, the, the context is, if you want to write this down, this is a quote by a pastor named Chris Vallotton. By the, ever, or by the way, if you ever want to be a great preacher, just rip smart people's stuff and you'll be awesome. This is my attempt at that. That was a joke. Okay, it says this. This is what Chris Vallotton said. Before you can have a purpose, you have to have a people. I'm going to say it again. Before you can have a purpose, you have to have a people. I said this in the first service. There's no mavericks in the kingdom of God. Throughout the scripture, there are patterns. And one of the consistent patterns leading to the, especially to the birth of the church is that there was very little eyes, and there was a lot of us's. When they gathered and were in unity, I'm going to use gathered and unity, and I'm going to combine them to call it one word, belonged. When they belonged to one another, the spirit moved in a powerful way. As you think through the Bible that you understand or that you know, the stories that you've read, do you see that pattern take place? Rick Warren wrote a fabulous book uh, called The Purpose Driven Life. 
it sold like 288 gazillion copies. And he made, you know, he won the lottery, basically. It was awesome for him. <laughs> Tithe. Anyway. All these college kids that I deal with have read the book. High school kids that, man, this book is awesome. But they always ask me the same question to the man. I believe I have a purpose. Great. And they say, but pastor, where is it? We know we have a purpose when we come to Christ. But we're constantly searching and asking for what it is. I want to propose to you today that you need to find a people before you can find your purpose. Does that make sense? Let's try and prove that statement throughout the scripture. We'll jump up to verse 11. Let's uh, go through some line-by-line teaching real quick. And then I want to jump to uh, John chapter 4 to use a story for clarification. Verse 11, I want to bring this out. It says that he longs to be with them. These are people he's never met. We live in a disconnected society where we have our 12 group of friends. We have 20,000 friends on Facebook, but we have, we have a, group, a small group of friends, and that's our little niche. Have you ever longed or loved somebody that can't give anything to you? Have you ever appreciated or not wanted to be around a people that you've never been with? See, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that in God's kingdom, he connects all his children? that we become his heirs. And when we become his heirs, we become siblings to one another. We begin to care for one another. That if we would listen to the Spirit of God in our life, all of a sudden he can increase a heart for us with people that we've never met before. How do you think missionaries work? When we find a people, all of a sudden we have this heart that grows up for folks that we've never met. And it, it, he draws out of us a connection that we never knew that we had. Do we see that in the scripture? Okay. Paul is saying, I've longed to be with you even though you feel rejected by me. I want to clarify. I want to level the playing field. I want to say that you think I don't want to be with you or that you think I'm not, you're not legitimate and I don't think so, so I'm not coming to your little church. He's reaching out to them and saying, you belong. Then he says, I have something to give to you that you may be established. I mean, if you're frustrated at Paul, you're thinking, how do you know what I need? That's how my sister gets sometimes. You don't know what I need? Lexi, shut up. I don't say that. I guess I did it again. All the moms in here are mad. They, how could they who feel slated say to Paul, you want to give me something? You've never even been here. How do you know what needs to be established? Then Paul moves it on in verses 12 and thir- or 13 and 14. And he also says that you can give me something. Do you see that? Paul, guy who blinds dudes. Homeboy was shipwrecked, survived, got bit by a snake, and was still like saved the whole city. Wrote 60% of the New Testament, Paul. Pen the greatest theological works any man period has ever done, period. And he's saying, you have something to give to me. He levels the playing field of all the believers. This is kind of jumping ahead, but who has ever felt insignificant in their own church? Like, I'm the have-not, I'm the sinner, I'm the one in air, and all the heirs need to come and give me something so that I can survive another week. Let me tell you something. That is a lie. Because you are his, you have something to offer everyone. That's just the truth, Jack. Whether you believe it or not, 
And he's saying to them, though I may be an apostle, though I may be um, confounded with power and given a mission, you have something to offer me in inequality. We have an exchange of goods in the spirit. Levels the playing field. There's a linguistic debate going on when he talks about just like the other Gentiles, right, the, the, the remaining Gentiles. Is he talking about the Gentiles in Rome or is he talking about the Gentiles in the re- remaining Mediterranean? There's this big Greek debate about it. My answer in the theological world is I don't care. All of them. He's going to say, you and I, Jewish church, in predominantly Jewish church, there was Romans in there, Greeks in there, you, Jew, uh, predominantly Jewish church in Rome, you and I are on the same playing field. We're equal. But the Greeks in your city, they're equal too. They're all on the same playing field. Paul has a primary mission in his life, and that's to preach the gospel. He talks about this in chapter 15 of the book of Romans, that he is called by God to preach the gospel with two uh, factors. One, to the Greek, and second, to where it's never been preached before. He preaches to Jews. Preaches to, he even says in Romans 15, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. But he basically develops the Gentile church, and his mission is to go where it has never been laid before. He words it like this, where there, I would not build on another man's foundation. He's saying to them, I've go, I'm going to Rome, but I'm going there to work. And I haven't been there because I've been working. Let me show you this in uh, uh, verse 14. He talks about the Greeks versus the barbarians. Let me clarify this one thing real quick. A barbarian is a non-Greek speaking Gentile. That's not just like a slanderous term or a hateful word. There's the Greeks, which weren't, were non-Jews. Okay, they're Gentiles. And then there's non-Greek speaking Gentiles, which are unlearned, uneducated, kind of the weakest of the weak. And he's saying, the poorest of the poor. He's saying, oh, yeah, it works. Sorry, I got interrupted by little children up there. Uh, they, he, he's saying to them, everybody's on the same playing field. And then he offers this great excuse. I'm going to give you, you guys are going to like this. Sorry, this is in verse 14. I'm going to call it the Holy Spirit excuse. You're going to like this. This is good for you. You're going to learn this. Paul says, I haven't come to you because I've been prevented from doing so. Do you see that? Well, who prevented him? The Holy Spirit. If you have a problem with me not coming to Rome, blame God. It's the only time in Scripture where blaming God is like, okay, Adam tried it in Genesis, did not work. But he says, I have been doing my job, that's why I haven't come to you. And then he says, when I do come to you, it will be because I'm doing my job. And when I come to you, I'm coming there to do my job, and I hope that you'll do the same. You see that? See, we need to believe that the Holy Spirit can guide every part of our day. There's three times in separate portions of Scripture in the book of Acts, which is the the legacy and chronology of the development of the church and the life of Paul. And there's three times where Paul is heading in a direction, and he specifically says, through the words of Luke, that the Holy Spirit prevented him or stopped him from going that direction. That he had to turn and go another direction. Let me ask you something. How many times has that happened to you? Leonard Ravenhill uh, is this old famous uh, preacher. He's a dead guy. I like to listen to dead people. They're really smart. He says that the grumblings in our stomach are often louder than the grumbling of our spirit. Man, that is convicting. 
Look at me. I'm big brother. When, when, when my stomach grumbles, everything stops. Like, I don't hear nothing. Food is the only mission. When in your life has your entire world had to be put on halt because the Spirit has put something into you? I long for the days when a member of our church can say, man, I, I got to take time off work because I am so convicted in prayer for these people that I don't know, that I've never met before, that will probably never know me. We let the Spirit lead us to heaven, but will you let the Spirit tell you when to eat? Tell you when to speak? Tell you what to be mad about and tell you what to be happy about? Can we, the, the, Jesus says, I do nothing that my Father does not bid. And then he says, I'm giving myself to you, do what I do. That we would be unctioned by the Holy Spirit, not just in the direction holistically in our life, okay, the general direction, but that we would be unctioned by the Holy Spirit on when to stop and when to step and when to pray and when to cry. Does that make sense? That is a good word right there. I just sounded really smart. I just, that was good. Okay. You guys are like, who is this guy? <clears throat> yes, it's awesome. Okay, we've talked about Paul. For a second, I want to talk about the Romans. I think you're more Roman than you think. They feel rejected. Okay, this is what the Lord was working on me when I was reading the scripture. Paul, Lord, why do they feel so rejected? And why does Paul care so much? Isn't he just going to go to Rome and fix it? Let me ask you something. Have you ever been rejected? Man, I'm in my shower. It's a good place to pray. That's where I pray. The shower was, in the shower, I was praying. The shower was not speaking to me. Jesus was. And he's bringing up in my life these, these memories that I still remember from when I was a little kid of like innocent moments of rejection that were magnificently powerful and large and really terrible in my life. In your own life, can you think about those things right now? They're small. But moments in your life when you step to try and be on the in and you got pushed on the out is terrible. You're more Roman than you think. The question is, what is the Spirit as a representation of Paul doing to mend that? I want to give you this quote here that's really been powerful to me. I've been using it all week with my disciples. It says this by Robin Williams. I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people that make you feel alone. Now that man, I'm going to get emotional. That comes from a man who took his own life. I'm in eighth grade. I'm going to a new school. My whole family's falling apart. I'm looking for friends. I'm a white kid in a 98% Hispanic school. I don't know nothing. Okay, I'm coming in the coolest clothes I think that are cool. And I walk into a circle, and I'm talking to some of my football buddies, and they're using slang. You ever heard of the term like whooped? He's whooped or she's whooped or whatever. It's just a slang term. I didn't know what it meant. And so I said it, but I mispronounced the word. I said, yeah, you're whipped. Seems kind of comical, right? We would laugh at it. Man, in that moment, I felt rejection from these people. Like, who is this tall, like, jolly green giant looking string bean of a guy who doesn't his clothes? What's wrong with this person? And it was a small moment just before school passed me by. Why have I never forgotten it? Because I was rejected by people I was longing to be accepted by. And I was in a crowd of people, and I felt absolutely alone. Okay, folks, listen to me. This is a problem. It's not a problem that we need to deal with campaigns or society or money. You need to hear me. This is a spiritual problem, and you have a role.
It matters, okay? Connecting to people matters because we think we're not harming people and we are. I'm 30 years old on the floor of my shower weeping like a baby over something that happened when I was in the eighth grade. Am I just super sensitive or is are there another person in here that can relate? I think so. Being alone is not everybody's greatest fear. It's not the worst thing. It's being around people that make you feel like you're alone. The result of the rejection, I think, looks like three different people. There's probably a hundred different types, but these are general characters that I want to use. See if you relate to one of them. When you are rejected, it manifests itself in three ways. I see this in the scripture, and I also see it in the practical life. Let's see if you see the same. The first is the jester, the ghost, and then the goth. The jester is the performer. That's me. When you're rejected, you don't ever want to be rejected again. So what do you do? Man, I lied. I just became the greatest storyteller there ever was. I lied when there wasn't even anything to lie about. I wasn't even trying to prevent, like, getting in trouble or being I didn't want to be rejected, so I just made stuff up. I found a mask, and I got an act, and I called it my life. And I didn't, I thought, if I'm in, but I'm not who I am supposed to be, if I get rejected, well, they were just rejecting the act. I can go pick up another act. Here's the problem. It's all a lie. And it's unauthentic. And disin or, uh, being unauthentic, or disingenuous, leads you to loneliness. And the pit of the devil, and it, it, if you play the whole thing out all the way, it leads you to taking your own life. Really, this is, he comes to steal and kill and destroy, right? What a feather in the cap of the devil to make a person believe a lie so much so that he would find that he has no purpose because he has no belonging, so he has no worth. The second is the ghost. Who's, who's the person in here that just shuts down? Man, they just flip the switch. They get rejected and they say, all right, I'm going to be silent. Silent. I'm going to be submissive and I'm going to be secluded. I'm going to roam up and down the halls of the high school and no one's going to even know I exist because if I play possum, maybe they won't hurt me. We see this a lot in abusive relationships. Okay, Female just shuts down. Then they come to church and we're asking them to open up and they think, you are crazy. I'm never coming back to church. <laughs> you are asking me to do the very thing that got me where I am. What is wrong with you? Then the last person is the goth. This is kind of the Roman church. I am going to reject you before you can ever reject me. I'll just put my defense mechanism up. It will look like anger. It will look like aggression. And I will move into extremity, into the extreme. I will be so much of an outcast that if you're not going to let me into your camp, I'll go build my own camp. Do we see that? Who in here can relate with one of those people? See, these are results of a believing of a lie. And it seems so kind of like, for lack of a better term, kind of ushy and gushy and non-theological. Let me tell you something. The, the believing lies is the foundation of the gospel. It is why it had to come. You pursued something that wasn't true when I was handing you something that was true. They take the fruit in the garden because it's the knowledge of good and evil. You already had the knowledge of God. You thought that was more important? You believed a lie. They were duped. And so are we. I want to talk to us about what the scripture says about belonging. How did Jesus Christ, who should be the example for everything that we do, how did Jesus Christ handle these people? Make sense? It's called belongology. Before we do that, let's jump up to the, to the scripture. The woman at the well, uh, the woman in Samaria, Samaria, I want to use this scripture to help us identify what's happening in Acts. John chapter 4. 
It's not up on the screen, so you should just bring a Bible, okay? Because you're Christians, and let's <laughs> just get with the program, okay? Just kidding. If you don't have a Bible, I'll buy you one. Alex will. <laughs> Man, I'm getting fired for sure. I wrote so much when it was regarding to what the Lord was doing with this sermon. It's kind of really like two or even three parts. And about five minutes into the first service, I thought, man, I know I ain't ever getting back up here again. So I'm just going to try and put all of it in one. Okay, here we go. The woman of Samaria. This is uh, John chapter 4, verse 7. And this is uh, in the life and times of Jesus. There came a woman of Samaria there to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Speaking of water. <laughs> Sorry. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you go to get that living water? Are you not greater than our father Jacob? Are you? Who gave us this well, to drink of it, who drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of this water that I will give him shall never thirst again. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, and then I will not be thirsty, nor come all this way here to draw. And he said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Yep, you do, what you said is correct. I, I, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you've had is not your husband. This is, uh, this is what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> that just makes me laugh. I don't know why. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say, or, and you say, you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where the men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. When, he, when that one comes, who is Jesus, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Am he? And at this point, the disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. And no one said, what do you seek? I want to talk about some, some background points of this story and see if we can connect it to Romans. The first is, this woman has a problem. Uh, she's a defined in Scripture as a, as a woman and a Samaritan. And, and her problem is that she's a woman and a Samaritan. That women had really no rights in this day and age. There's some things you need to understand that I have overlooked in the past and really didn't preach the scripture completely, if I have to be honest. The first is, women weren't allowed to own property. 
Women could not serve on a council or in a court um, as a jury because they were seen as inherently dishonest. Women could not object to marry. You, you were allowed to object initially, but you couldn't say, I want a divorce. And you could not approach somebody to, be, to marry them. You had very little right. Now, more so than that, a Samaritan is, is best defined as a mudblood, really. It's, it's, a, it's a Jew and non-Jew child. The best example I have for this is in that time of day, orange juice was okay, dirt was okay, but if you put dirt in my orange juice, that's disgusting. Jews saw the Samaritans as destroying the bloodline of Jesus, well, of, of God, and so they were wretched. They, were, they didn't talk to them. They didn't deal with them, especially Jews. Now, teachers of the Jewish faith, okay, of the Torah, these, uh, these teachers were not allowed to teach women. Eleazar, which is one of the great uh, uh, historical teachers in Jesus' time of the Torah, said he would rather burn the word of God than teach a woman. Okay, so this lady's got a lot stacking up against her. She's drawing water in the middle of the day because she can't go in the morning and she can't go in the evening because she's rejected by those around her. She goes in the middle of the day because she's seen as a harlot, a Samaritan, and obviously, finally, a woman. Does that make sense? She is the picture of this ghost or this uh, uh, jester or the goth. Okay, she is the most rejected around. And Jesus waits by a well all day for her. <laughs> I tell this the first verse. Look, you've got three and a half years to change the world. And dude's just hanging out for one rejected girl. I would be campaigning. Like Trump. I'd come in a later time. Give me an airplane. We, I need to have billboards. Peter, go hand out these flyers. I'd have speeches and debates. Like, I'd be working hard to get the word out. He looks for one rejected girl. He's connecting the rejects. So we see how politically kind of crazy this is? We good? Are we dead? Wake up. This is good stuff, whether you like it or not. <clears throat> I call this belongology. It's the observation of belonging. We can learn in this story and in the story that we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 15, and also throughout the scripture, I'm, I'm giving you two items to recognize the pattern with the hope that as you read the word, you'll see the pattern again and again and again, and you'll realize this is the nature of God, and God's nature is in me. Do we see that? Belongology. Okay, a couple things I want us to, I want us to note. In, in the first verses, in verse 7 and 8, he says to her, give me a drink. Do you see her reaction? She's kind of the goth. Aren't you a Jew? You don't, aren't you from the good side of the tree, you, you Puritan? Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. She's trying to reject him before he could possibly reject her. And, and I know that seems like a stretch, but really in my observation and study of the Greek, it is, it is aggressive language that this woman is using to a Jewish teacher. She is objecting to authority with her, with her proclamation. One, she doesn't start with good teacher or teacher, or master. She doesn't say any of those things. She is rejecting him. He reaches his hand out, and she slaps it away. But what does the Lord do? He reaches his hand back. I think one of the greatest fears in our life is that we, like I did in the park, or before school, I'm going to reach my hand out to be accepted, and I'm going to be rejected in return. The Lord's love is so abundant that it doesn't need our acceptance. 
he reaches his hand out again and speaks to her. And what does she say? You're, teach you're teaching me. You're, I'm a woman. I'm a Jew, and you're teaching me. She accepts. There's a connection that's made, and you can see it in the language. He says, she says to her, you don't bring anything to draw with. How are you going to get this awesome water you're talking about? Are you greater than our father? Our father, Jacob? Jacob is the father of the Jews. The nation of Israel is born essentially out of him through his grandfather Abraham. Do we see that picture? She doesn't say, your father, because you're the Jew and I'm the Samaritan. You shouldn't be talking to me. Her language is now changed to, wait, are you with us? Are you accepting me as one of your own? Do we see that? And he says, yeah. She goes, well, okay, what do we do? How do we do, how do, we do this? Let's change it up. Where's this wellspring? It's going to be in my stomach. This is going to be awesome. And he says to her, where's your husband? Now, for years, I have preached this incorrectly. And I'm telling you that for a couple reasons. One, what you believe, what is said up here needs to be received with authority, but it does not need to be received in blindness. Did you hear me? I am not telling you to be cattle that I just tell you what to do, nor should any pastor. I am leading you to Scripture to the depth of my understanding. You need to go read it for yourself. I tell people all the time when I do teachings, more class-based stuff, I'm going to proclaim everything that I say up here as absolute truth, but some of it's going to be a lie. If I knew it was a lie, I wouldn't have said it in the first place. And there's been often in my revelation study that I do where I have to go back in Scripture and amend because I said something that was incorrect. So I'm saying that this is, in, in my study, when I'm reading the Word, this is what the Lord is doing to me, and I'm receiving it as truth, but you need to go check for yourself, Okay? So he says to her, where's your, where's your husband? She says, I don't have a husband. And I used to think, well, he's saying, I know all your sin. Like, I see it. And, like, I'm God, and I, you know, I came to forgive sins. And, and all that stuff is true. But I forgot and overlooked a cultural necessity to this story. Women could not divorce men. I cry, and I'm not going to cry this time. He's saying to her, you have been thrown away five times. And the one that you're with right now won't even accept you, but I'm standing right here. I accept you. I'm reaching my hand out anyway. You see that? Man, this stuff matters. He connects with her. And he brings his disciples up. They come with the subway, right? They come with the sandwich. And they're like, man, I'm glad nobody's watching this. Does he know she's a Samaritan? Does he even know she's a girl? <laughs> he shouldn't be doing this. He finishes his conversation with the woman while they're watching. Because he's saying to his disciples, this is how we are going to treat people. He takes the most rejected person in the town, and absolutely, okay, no, maybe not absolutely, but in theory, right, the principle of the story, or the epithet, if you will, that you can draw, is that she was rejected in every way. She was the goth, and he says, you, we can't do this without you. And because she found a people, do you see, is this making sense? Does this help you? She found a people. What does she do? If you read on the scripture, it says that she goes to the town and she says, come meet the man that told me everything I've ever done. And later in the scripture, after Jesus speaks, it says that she brought like half of them with them. That she revolutionized the town. Think about it. She, he got the most rejected person. Who does she even start to talk to? Hey, I know you hate me, but like th there's a bigger thing going on here. Because she found a belonging, because she found a connection, because she found a place with a person, she found a purpose. 
Does that make sense? Now, everybody knows that our purpose is to serve the Lord. The question is, in just what way do we do so? I believe that we need a people for that. That makes sense? So everybody, in one way or another, is the goth, or the ghost, or the jester, or some manifestation of that. We agreed? I'm going to give you the remedy to to rejection. It's called belonging. Belonging gives you a few things. I think you need to write these write these things down here. The first is this. Belonging brings authority. Belonging brings identity. Belonging brings responsibility. And belonging brings significance or a place. Okay, now, you guys are probably saying like, well, there's more. There probably is, but this is just what my little pea brain in the shower could come up with. So deal with it. See, I'm going to give you a story, a practical application to this scripture working in my life. This is a long time ago, but there was a kid at a grocery store, or at a gas station, and he was still in those like sleeves of little gas station donuts. Y'all know what they are. Don't pretend like you don't. Those little things. And he's putting them in his pocket. Well, he doesn't see me. I don't know how he doesn't see me, but I'm getting my cup of coffee and he is putting the stuff in his pocket and he comes up and he gets his pack of cigarettes and his gum. And I said, man, you're going to pay for those. I stood behind him. And he's like, pay for what? And so he goes back and forth. We don't need to get into the details, but he gets mad at me. He slams the donuts down and he crushes the donuts and he marches out. See, there's a hundred reasons why you should not let people steal. Okay. I understand that. I saw it. I can't unsee it. I'm a pastor accessory after the fact. I don't know. Like, there's all these different reasons. Uh, Hey, can I have a donut? I saw you. (laughs) There's a ton of reasons why I should have said no. But the reason that came up in me was an injustice in my city. See, I'm not even from here. This isn't... I'm I'm from P-Town. Stand up. But in Fort Collins, I have an identity. I have a people. And because I have a a belonging to a people, I have an authority. Do we see that? I am significant. And this is going on in my town. I want to own businesses in this town. You can't do this in my town. Am I the sheriff? No, but I belong. Do we see that? How would you feel if this was happening in your family? You know how to belong. Our call in this church, if you come and you you say that this is your church, you need to know something. You are called to change the city then. I was a knucklehead with a messed up life who came here and found some other knuckleheads and they let me into their little knucklehead group called a church and now I belong. But it's my church. I had a responsibility in that moment to say something because it's my city. Okay? We need to talk about belonging then at the church. I don't want us to just go to church. I want us to become the church. And if there are people in this church who don't have a job or they're a single mom and they can't pay for food or they feel alone, that is your problem because this is your church and you have a responsibility because you have an identity here and you have an authority to speak to me or to speak to somebody else. Just like Paul says, I've never been to your church, but I have a right to say something. And what you have, what you have, you have the right to give to me. Okay, we have to start taking responsibility for what is going on here. There are people who put up the flags in the morning. If Matt Hain was in here, I would probably get him up and we would all pray for him. He's this little guy who 
came to this church and he just said, look, I, I, this is my church and I belong here. What can I do to help? He didn't ask to preach. He didn't. Uh, we said, man, we need you to put up the flags. So every Sunday morning, he's out shoveling snow. And he's like, give me these flags. How do they work? He's just, he, took, he took the bull by the horns and he said, this is my family. This is my church. I have a responsibility here and I'm going to serve. We're not perfect. We can't, we can't change the city the way we are right now. Practically and logistically, we just can't. But if you have a problem with something that's going on, that is awesome. Fix it. I'm not asking you to do that because I'm tired. I was under the assumption that I was supposed to feel this way because I work here. Because I'm the pastor. But through this study in scripture, I'm realizing that I, I want this thing to work because this is mine. Man, this is my church. And, and, and this needs to be a place of honor and nobility and royalty. And great and powerful and wondrous things need to happen out of here because the Lord has done a tremendous work in my life and I want it to work for others. This is, I, I'm responsible for this. And I don't want to be alone. And when other people say, you know what, me too, man. I'm responsible for this. I'm in. We start to see this negotiating work that takes place in a pattern in the scripture where those outcasts like the disciples or in Acts 2, the, there's like 120 misfits, they're getting up. They don't even know what to do. They're the worst Christians we've ever known. They're like, program? Pre preaching? I don't, even, I don't know. Let's just go pray. And they go to the upper room and they pray. And these, these people get together in unity because they feel like they belong to one another. And guess what happens? They start living together. Holy Spirit falls. Some guy goes, the, the church needs money. I sold my house. Another guy goes, that was a good idea. I'm selling mine. And this movement started because people had a people. The goth found a place to belong. The ghost found a place to not be silent anymore. The jester found a place to take off his mask. And they were like, yep, it's ugly and it's nasty, but I'm still standing here. The observation of belonging, or belongology, which I will coin that verse and make millions, is displayed throughout the scripture. Do we see that? Where he takes the least and makes him the greatest. A few more points here. I don't even know where we're at with time. Yeah, we got to hurry. Does that make sense? Is that helpful to us? Yeah. You're the first person that said something that was like, it's important enough to write down. That's awesome. Okay, yes, here it is. Um, the antidote for the, the three rejects. Authority, a belonging. Belonging is an authority. Belonging is an identity. Belonging is a responsibility. And belonging is a significance, or what I define more specifically as a place. You get a role. Okay? You cannot become a people until you belong to someone. I'm not saying that everybody's the boss. Okay, I'm a grown man and I'm a big man and not very many people that could hurt me or be tough than me, but I have put myself underneath Johnny Square. Man, I am, I am in submission to him because we are a people and I belong. And that's his role and this is mine. I'm underneath Alex within this, within this church. He is my brother and my friend, but that is, I belong in my place. Do we see that? Matt is the guy that does flags. By the way, if you see him, just uh, give him money or something. I don't know. Just, just, we need to start just giving stuff away. That's, that, the cool things happen when we do that. Okay. All things we want. All these things are things we want. All these things are things that we need in order to have a purpose. Belonging, identity, significance, uh, authority. 
we need each other to belong. We must belong to each other before we can have a purpose. This takes place, I think, in Acts 2. We talked about that. Zerubbabel is another one. Uh, he's this uh, Jewish man who takes a band of misfit slaves who are Jews with no materials, no education, and no money. And he says, we're going to go build the temple. And there's some people that are like, I'm in. How do we do it? I don't know. But by faith, these people come together in a significant way and rebuild the temple without any materials. Do we see that? This pattern takes place throughout all of Scripture. So what does this mean for us? Because this is my city, and this is my church, but now my church is in my city. Let's bring this home for a second. You need to have an issue with Fort Collins trying to drive out the poor so that we can make room for more rich people. Those are my poor. Those are my people. They're not somebody else's homeless. Those are my homeless. That's not somebody else's single mom. That's my single mom. I have a responsibility to her. And she has a responsibility to me. Does that make sense? Businesses shutting down in this city should be a problem for you because the church should be a supportive connection to the local business. That should bother you because you belong. Not because you work here because I said so, but because you have stake here. Does that make sense? There's issues that are rising up in our city that aren't just local church general things that we need to do, but that we need to be a part of them, not because we're good Christians, but because that's a problem and we're problem solvers. We belong. Do we see that? Specifically for the poor, and if I ever get a chance to speak on this more, we're going to talk way, way more about them. Paul is saying to the church in Rome, I can talk to you like this because I belong to you and you belong to me. He has an authority to speak to these people in such a way because he knows that he belongs to Christ and Christ belongs, or that that church does as well. We need to be willing to open up our hearts to listen to other people. I've seen folks praying for other folks in this church and people are offended. Why would you talk to me about something so personal? Why would you... Like, it's hard for them. Like, that's my business, and I don't even know you, and you could hurt me, and, and this could be bad, and I don't know. We get offended. We get hurt because we're unwilling to let somebody else be a lover, too. Do we see that? In my personal relationship, and we can bring the worship team up and the, uh, the, get ready for the offering. This is something specific the Lord has been dealing with me within this whole teaching. I was saying, Lord, but... It's almost like there's not enough love to go around. If I pour out my whole life to this church and it never works, like I won't have any love to receive. I'm banking on these other people buying in. I want to propose to you, if you're thinking that way, that God is really, really big. That he's significantly powerful. And I think in food terms, because that's, that's what I'm into, that if I take a slice of pizza away, if somebody takes a slice of pizza away, that's less pizza for me. We worry about that. Like, I only have so much time. Beck, I only have so much money. I only have so much energy. And I can't rely on God to bring all these practical things. I want to say to you this morning that God can just say, let there be more pizza. <laughs> that was good, thanks. That he's a big enough God and he's an eternal enough God that he can love every single one of us fully and completely. He can, look, God can talk to seven billion people at the same time and call it intimate. 
He's big enough for us to pursue him wholeheartedly, give above and beyond what we're able to give in time and energy. Now, this is not just about money. It's just about belonging, that I can give of myself, that this is my church. I'm pouring my life out for it, and that God has enough of him to go around for me. Can we believe that? Okay. Uh, let's bring the offering up. I want to save that for just a second. Does that help us? Are we good? I can do more. No, I'm kidding. You guys want to go. What? Football's over. You don't got nothing to do. I want to ask you a few questions while you prepare the offering. What would happen to you if you said, all right, I'm going to belong here? What would happen to this church if we said we belong in this city? What would happen in the city if there was the church that said this city belongs to us? Another thought here just before we leave. That this woman became a mighty work and evangelist for Christ because she belonged first. Her power came out of her connection. Not only to God, but to other people. Paul is saying to this church, you're not second class. You belong. And that means you have to go to work. And finally, if I can wrap it up in a statement, I'm pleading with you guys to stop just coming here to come to church. I'm asking us to figure it out how to become the church together. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray for the offering. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for your good work. Lord, that we would not give today out of compulsion or responsibility um, or, or religion, God, that we would give because we belong and this matters. Lord, I pray for a blessing for every person who gives today and for those who don't give out of obedience that they would receive a blessing as well. You sustain us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. After you give the offering, we're going to stand to our feet. We'll have a time of worship, and I'll bring us to a close in just a few minutes.
Some of you are are thinking to yourself, man, that's right. I, I, I need a place to belong. And you're wondering how you belong here. I'm going to tell you that I'm, I, I'm going to hurt your feelings. Alex is going to offend you. He is. I'm going to forget things and you're going to hurt my feelings and I'm going to come in with a bad attitude and so are you. But if you're willing and you want to belong, you can right now. It's that simple. You don't need a resume. You don't need to apply. I don't need to know anything about you. You have a place to belong here. But if you belong, you have a responsibility. And that's to belong back leave you with this thought before we pray to the degree that we are willing to love is the same degree that we open ourselves up to hurt but if we will love fully we become something different something pure something untouched by hurt altogether and it gives us a strength and sustainability because we're so complete in the love of Christ that he gives to us that when our hand is slapped away, we have the gunction not to be rejected, but to put our hand back out again. Does that make sense? For those of you that have stepped in in the last two years or so, and, and you've, you've made invitations or done programs or sang songs or, or, or helped with the mission group or, or whatever you've done to really step in and belong. Man, I just want you to know I am so thankful that you are here and you have affected my life and my wife's life and you've, you've become a part of us and, and you are cared for by me. 
and I pray it's the other way around. But my prayer finally is this. Deeper still. That there is more. There's a more confounding type of love that people can have for one another. And if you would like to go on an adventure us, we can an adventure with us, we could pursue that crazy love. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for willing people. I thank you for funny jokes and for, for, for joy in the church. And I thank you for people to have a place to belong. It's not in a church building. It's not even in a, in a, in a community. Lord, the result of belonging is really belonging to you. We say this morning, God, we are your possessions. Lord, that you take good care of us. That you shepherd us and you care for us. And we believe that is more true. That gets more of a vote today than the ghost in us or the goth in us or the jester in us. Lord, I pray that you bless these people in ways that they can't even possibly understand or imagine. I pray that your face would shine upon them in such a glorious way that they would be able to feel nothing but peace. Lord, I pray that they would receive your word in wholeness and fullness. And I pray, Lord, that there'll be a day when we can do a wedding instead of a sermon, and it would be just as glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to sit up front in case anybody wants prayer, uh, but you guys are free to go, and I hope you have a great week. Thanks a lot.